Hey, welcome to Breakthrough Walls. I'm Ken Walls, on, and I am your host, and I am excited. I have a legend on the show today. I have Mr. Nick Lowry. Nick, welcome to the show. Good to be on with you. Yeah, let's break through some walls. <laughs> let's do it. So, so Nick, you know, I told you I created this to help people get unstuck. We're in a probably the most tumultuous time known to the world, really. I mean, it seems a little bit crazy right now. But, um, you know, I guess we could start with where you were born and raised and how it all started for you. Well, um, very different background because my parents were um, children of the World War II era. My mother was in the first full class of women at Oxford. Um, back then, women could only be honor students. So my mother was a, took a second at Oxford as in what's called high German. She literally spoke the best German in England. Germany. And uh, during the war, uh, she finished first in her officer's intelligence class and would go around in a van around the coast picking up and voting German what are called e-boat messages, fast boat messages, because the German e-boats could get from France to Dover in, you know, 40 minutes. Wow. So, um, and then she was sent by uh, question, the German record keepers, uh, Hitler's record keepers in Berlin and Minden right after the war. And then before the end of the war, she was sent to uh, document the death camps and uh, spent a lot of time uh, with that the first year after the war, which I didn't learn. She never told me about. Uh, I had to find out from a mutual friend after she passed away. And my father was uh, from a family of cowboys in Colorado, very different, who, yeah. um, who was a reconnaissance pilot for General Patton, through, uh, flew 32 missions in Germany at the end of the war uh, to help uh, – basically calling in, shelling into where he was. So he lost a couple of his in there with these unarmored pipe cubs flying at 3,000 feet. Uh, so he realized that intelligence support, knowing what the enemy's doing, knowing before they do, if you will. And so he went back to start on the GI Bill. as in the first group of Fulbright scholars uh, with Daniel Patrick Moynihan and some by that point, 1940 had been um, 49 had been um, running this new Fulbright Scholars program with a guy named Alan Pfeiffer, P-I-F-E-R. If you look up Alan Pfeiffer, he was one of the great leaders in American education uh, back in the 50s, and would go on to run the Carnegie Mellon Foundation. And wow. uh, so Alan Pfeiffer was a pretty amazing human being. And uh, there, my my mother was uh, helping host without pay for this first group of 100 scholars. And she noticed my father, who was a little bit older than some of these people and more mature, uh, a little disgusted with the reception, um, with the, the behavior of some of these people at the reception at the American embassy with the ambassador, uh, because they were flirting with the ambassador's daughter. They were stealing these rationed cigarettes. And, and so my parents uh, fell in love pretty quickly. And in London. My older twin brothers were born in London. And uh, my father then on went to work for very arguably the foremost historian of the century, Coinby, who wrote three million 
most copy of history, 14 volumes. The first two volumes were about literally um, <clears throat> definitions. What is, what is society? What are the important things that matter? And um, he had a theory, which I think we will touch on in our own way today. Yeah. For those trying to break through, break through walls, he had a theory called challenge and response. So if you look up or Google Arnold Toynbee, T-O-Y-N-B-E-E, my father and he were going to be on the cover of Magazine, which is a very popular magazine back in the 50s. And literally, this is right at the beginning of the 50s, the breakout of the Korean War that week, unfortunately prevented my father from being ever as an example about this this Fulbright Scholars Program. But my father uh, wrote recent European history um, in Poland and Hungary, Czechoslovakia, Romania, Russia. My father was an expert on Russian. He spoke some Russian. And um, and so working with Toynbee, uh, he worked with the very best, um, and I was lucky enough to get to know Arnold Toynbee. My mother has a funny story is that a few years later, um, in, in probably what would have been 54 with uh, or 53, uh, Toynbee moved to um, Princeton and shared an office with a guy named Robert Oppenheimer, who was the man that developed uh, the nuclear weapon, obviously based on yeah. uh, Einstein's work. Um, and... Uh, I like the image, which is a true image, that my mother changed the diapers on my twin brother of my twin brothers on the desk of Robert Oppenheimer because they didn't have any room and Toynbee was using his desk. So uh, <laughs> I wow. love the idea of the most primal thing, which is changing diapers and the most grounded yeah. uh, images of human beings. And yet at the same time, here's a guy that had an uh, Oppenheimer that rep you know, uh, represented uh, the dark side, but also the great accomplishments of, of humankind. So um, wow. my parents were trendsetters. My mother, having grown up in Cairo, Egypt, with a father who, who helped found the Bank of Egypt. Um, we were raised uh, at St. Albans School and before that Potomac School in McLean, Virginia. Two sets of twins. I have a twin sister. We were born in Germany as my father began to work for the CIA in Germany. And, and uh, Let's see. What's this? Greatness on us. Thanks, Bob. And thanks, Bob. Eric Swanson. Appreciate it. Um, Love, Eric. Love, Bob. And uh, yeah, Bob, wonderful uh, beacon of light, as is Eric. Awesome, yeah. as they would say. So, um, <laughs> Mr. Awesome. <laughs> Mr. Awesome. So um, anyway, so we grew up with uh, the expectation that we should do something with our lives that really mattered. Yeah. And so for all those that are unstuck, um, if we were in an elevator and I only had 10 minutes to talk to you, I would say to you, uh, align your deepest core values with a purpose that serves more than you. Listen to your inner voice, to what you love doing, what is natural, but also the things you just love doing, even though they aren't easy. Um, because those are God's gifts in you, one of them being persistence itself, belief that you do have a purpose that's bigger than you. And when you start serving that, then uh, what Malcolm Gladwell would call uh, the 10,000 hours, you know, or maybe it's 100,000 hours, but it starts with 10,000 hours, which is uh, an analogy. Uh, somebody I've gotten to know a little bit, um, Carlos Santana and uh, playing your uh, guitar, your inner guitar, uh, he would say the same thing. Align your deepest values so that you're coming from this core, this soulful core. 
then you're feeling fully alive. Then I go to a guy named Joseph Campbell, who I've always admired, who uh, if you watch the first Star Wars movie, it's better than all the others. And there's a reason. It's because Joseph Campbell mentored the cast, all great, you know, legendary actors. Yeah. Uh, yet he helped them see this primal, timeless heroism in each of them. So they saw this timeline of thousands of generations that we in turn have taken the baton from to learn from and to extend into this very difficult present that we all have to deal with. Toynbee would have, you know, witnessed obviously World War One and World War Two. Uh, we've witnessed Vietnam and Korea and of course Afghanistan and Iraq. But now we have this other challenge which is unprecedented as well. So if we come from this core, we come from a backbone of purpose and and uh, courage, yeah. uh, because we know we're we're tapping into something bigger than ourselves. So that's my background. Is growing up in in Germany and uh, in Munich, Germany, briefly, and then in um, Northern Virginia. How about this? Um, literally, the day that we moved into six eight zero three Hampshire Road and six eight zero one Hampshire Road was uh, a a guy named. Justice Byron Wizard White, who not only finished number one at Yale Law School the same year he led the NFL in rushing, but he led the NFL <laughs> rushing twice in only three years in the league, received the biggest uh, bonus in NFL history from the Rooney family uh, to play for Pittsburgh and then Detroit a couple years later. A Rhodes Scholar, amazing human being. And the second day we were there, uh, I saw this bright red-headed shock of thick hair and a big uh, Labrador next to this man with his back to us talking to Justice White in his front yard, and it's Bobby Kennedy. And, wow. you know, uh, when we study history, hopefully we can look deeper that all of us are flawed. All of us have mistakes that um, either shine more light or we allow them to darken our lives. And you know, I choose to think of the light that Bobby Kennedy and John F. Kennedy and Justice White had, uh, whether it was uh, Justice White protecting the the marchers into Selma, Alabama, when he was in charge as number two at the state uh, at the Justice Department under Bobby Kennedy um, to protect the the civil rights marches, or whether it was, of course, John F. Kennedy saying, "Ask not what your gov your country can do for you; ask what you can do for your country." Um, so, you know, we grew up with that. And, and so I came out of that and I feel so lucky, unbelievably lucky to have uh, had role models that not just with words, but just with who they were, shouted, screamed out, you are here to make a huge difference and to change the course of history in a positive way. So let me ask you, like, because you became one of the best kickers ever in the NFL. Like you're, you're in the Kansas city hall of fame, right? Kansas city chiefs hall of fame. Um, and like, where did that start though? Like I remember, cause I was thinking about this interview a little bit ago and I'm thinking I can remember playing football as a kid and trying to kick and I could maybe get it to lob about 30 yards at best. And I'm like, 
where does that come from? Did did you just like one day wake up and go, I'm going to kick the crap out of a football and make it right? No, I just could. I just could really? uh, playing soccer in England when England won the World Cup. I mean, think about all these different things historically. You wonder, and I think as we get older, we look at the serendipities and the coincidences, which are not coincidences right. that happened in our lives, that, that, that England hosted and won the World Cup in 1966. And I was playing soccer first thing in the morning, recess, lunchtime, dinner, uh, you know, uh, sports afterwards, one of the oldest schools in London. By that time, my father, which I found out when he died 11 years ago, my father was chief of station in London during the, the glory years of the James Bond era. Uh, Sean Connery, obviously, being the James Bond figure then, but my dad literally was the American M for the, the, the American James Bonds, working with the, the British James Bonds, if you will, uh, and then 95% of those that were non-secret agents but simply were brilliant uh, scholars looking at data, looking at information, and trying to help protect uh, this new era of democracy, which uh, Germany had all but taken from us uh, and which you know 50 million people worldwide died for. Wow. Wow. So you 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 started doing the kicking thing, playing soccer. Playing soccer, and then we played uh, rugby one month a year at Ealing Common, which was uh, down the street from Kensington High Street and St. Paul's School, which is one of the which originally it was a Nick. Are you a spy? Yes, Eric. I'm a spy, <laughs> and I know all sorts of stuff about you, Eric. That can, you want me to tell? I mean, I got some great stuff on Eric. Seriously, yeah, let's hear it. Um, <laughs> No, seriously, um, you know, I uh, I would play rugby at Ealing Common, and I remember kicking a ball, a, a, a little hole in the ground, putting a ball down, and I just immediately knew how to kick. And uh, they wanted me to play. I was about this much taller than all the British kids. They wanted me to play for the team when I was, you know, 10 years old, 9 years old for the 13-year-old team uh, because I could kick so far. Then we went to Germany, and my dad was number two in Germany, um, and that was uh, right about the time, uh, 1968, when Russia invaded Czechoslovakia. My dad disappeared for a couple weeks um, wow. to do some important stuff. But uh, in Germany, we didn't play any football. I played a ton of basketball. Uh, I learned how to bowl, and I played a ton of baseball. We had the, the second-best team in Europe in Little League and pitched, did a lot of pitching and came back in, in eighth grade to Potomac School in McLean where the Kennedys went, where Bobby Kennedy's son, David, who tragically died uh, at the age of about 30 many years ago, um, was in the class ahead of us. Um, Evan Bayh, who became governor and then senator for many years and was almost vice president under Obama, uh, senator from Indiana. Uh, he was uh, trying to pull my twin sister's pants down uh, in, in kindergarten. So these are the interesting uh, memories of up with people around you that were from these enormously influential families and so you absorb absorb those things and people that have grow up with parents that don't have great parents i had great parents educated but who cares you can be an awful human being but great things who understood service and making a difference and 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 love and it was way past words it was way past lectures it was just being the example that's who my dad was that cow in him um, and so um i knew i could kick and when i went back i put up a tee this time from 35 yard line 45 yard field goal and it went through so easy pretty easy so i started kicking goals for 
Potomac, along with being a wide receiver, a very thin wide receiver, um, uh, kicked a 32-yard field goal against Landon, which was my first field goal. And um, my last two seconds of my career, uh, very fortunate that um, I got to kick a field goal against Landon to deny them the league championship in the mud and the rain, a 40-something-yard field goal. And, and the video, which somebody sent me a couple of years ago, um, I didn't realize, but all the Landon fans were 5,000. It was very cold, last game of the season, last game of my high school career. And uh, the fans are running on the field uh, from Landon because you guys are not going to hit a 43-yard field goal to win the game in the mud and the rain. And, I, and all I knew was um, I was going to. Uh, and that, to me, was a very powerful statement uh, to myself of what I was capable of. Yeah. Albeit with a mentor, a guy named Johnson, who helped me always look at uh, all of these lessons as lessons for life about the connection with God and what he wants us to do or she wants us to do, if you, if you prefer. Mm-hmm. Um, and so um, I love that. And that me a lot about focus and, and as a pitcher on the baseball team, being pitcher and the kicker, people that learn to block out everything so the people that are listening will be listening watching that have the walls um we have our work to break through the walls absolutely and a lot of it is fear so much of it is fear the capacity to block out all the stuff that doesn't matter and the has to do that he's got a very large in the nfl experience other or to distract and so it's always about what can i control not letting anything else distract us from that so i feel that gift over many years of development from naturally being able to atomic to all the way up to you know game winner against landon last two seconds to dartmouth college um each one of those were pivotal points cut by eight teams times it in the NFL, yeah. all lessons and how do I how, more importantly, perhaps um, I'm going to make mistakes. And uh, you know what is this teaching me? I have to run out of um, fuel on my uh, phone. I'm at a so if you uh, bear with me, I'm going to uh, run and get my charger. Yep, go and- ahead. And I'll be right back. So yep. forgive me, everybody. It's all right. Go ahead. We'll wait. We will wait. Wow. <clears throat> so thank you guys for being on here. I've seen a bunch of people share. Really appreciate you guys sharing this out. Um, we have Nick Lowry. The guy is incredible. Um, I think there might be a little bit of a signal issue. I'm not sure. Is is let me know if it's coming clear, coming through clear for you guys, or if you're hearing it a little bit choppy. Um, so Eric Swanson says Nick is one of his all-time favorite speakers. So um, for those of you that don't know, Nick is in the Kansas City Chiefs Hall of Fame, spent 18 years playing in the NFL. Um, incredible, incredible human being here. So um, it's coming through clear for you, Eric. Good. Appreciate you, man. Thank you. Hi, Eric. We love you, man. 
All right. All right. We are back. We're good. That might have been maybe the power, I because you it was coming fading in and out there the signal a little bit. So I think maybe we're better now. Okay. Cool. Okay. Good. Good. So so you uh, you spent you spent eighteen years. I have a friend that played nine years in the NFL, um, and eighteen years is a long time in the NFL. Ask Tom Brady. <laughs> Right. 20, 20 years. Yeah, that's wow. That's a long time. So it, it blows me away a little bit because you just you said that you just knew how to kick the football. Kind of blows me away. It didn't it, it just came natural. Well, the act is natural. There are lots of people. I just had a long conversation with Goose Gossage today about the similarity of the relief pitcher and the and the kicker. You got to learn to uh, get past the disaster, the public disasters. Yeah. The relief pitcher throws a hundred mile an hour fast corner. And the guy how guesses right. Sometimes Goose Gossage. This is a Yankees Hall of NFL. Excuse me, Major League Baseball Hall of Fame. Yeah. Sometimes you just got to tip your cat, Nick. Cap, Nick. You're dealing with somebody who paid millions of dollars on the other. They're pretty good at what they do. And then move on. If you miss a field goal and you want to miss a field goal, right, Eric? You know, you make a mistake, you stumble, you say something, you know, that just isn't quite what you wanted to say. Yeah. And uh, you just have to move past it. So that's a great lesson for all of us. Yeah. What can I learn? And some call it flush it down the toilet. I, I'm just like, just learn how to 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 learn and then make as many mistakes, healthy mistakes, not neurotic mistakes. Don't <laughs> sabotage yourself, but make as many mistakes as you can and come to that sense of realism. What is the level of increment of mistake I'm prepared to make so I can get better? Because I'm telling you, every single person, uh, think about the people that are success stories we read about all the time. Some of it's not accurate, but still, you know, that have success and then sabotage themselves almost at the moment when they're having their most success. So yeah. why, why do they do that? You know, and to me, I would argue that's about, as Eric would say, as Bob would say, as John Shin would say, as Sharon Lecter would say, uh, as Yuri Choi would say, as all of our good Grow Rich Tour, um, that's because you haven't aligned your values to and attached it to something much bigger than you. So you can pull yourself out of this this narcissistic or myopic viewpoint that only sees this and sees the bigger context, the wow. history, the culture. Um, a little bit of Winston Churchill example, and I'm sorry, but I he's one of the people of all time. Or of course we know Lincoln and all of the the political elections. I think it was seven consecutive ones that he lost. Yeah. Uh, but he got better. He got so much better that he's considered by some the greatest president we've ever had. Yeah. And he never gave up. He never gave up. And he also had a godly uh, view. He had a sense that um, God was, um, if he chose to, helping um, steer his sense of why he was doing what he was doing. Because he knew sending 600,000 people in this case, which is would be the equivalent today of over 10 million. Think about that, yeah. the percentage of population, 600,000 people on each side to their deaths. 
And so he sure as heck better have had a sense of why this was so important to the future of this country. And, and, and Sharon, Sharon Lecter talks about that a lot, you know, tying your, your life to that, to a greater purpose, something bigger than you. And, and is that what you're referring to? Right. Absolutely. You know, she uh, is very proud to say that um, she stuck to her when things didn't work out quite the way she'd hoped uh, after the remark and continued success of, of, of her initial major book, yeah. um, Rich Dad, Poor Dad with Robert Kiyosaki. Yeah. And she said he's written now uh, an apology to her because she got that. She got the fact that this is about more than us. And she gets that. She's done half-day financial literacy training for my Native American leadership program for um, 15 years. Wow. Her amazing assistant, Angela, uh, Angela Totman. I love it. And uh, she's always understood that. And so the money ends up being so empty. You know, you can cuddle up with your money if you want. You can cuddle up with your, your sculptures and your, you know, your acquisitions, you know, and your, your Lamborghinis. But in the end, um, they're not warm. I mean, it may be fun. That, that's, it adds color and juice to your life. But in the end, there's a sense of this internal um, living energy that we either have and we we foment and we nurture or we don't. I'm sure you've, you've run into people along the way that they, you talk to them and you just, you, you realize that they are stuck. Like they, there's, there's some kind of a mental block that's holding them back in life to, to reach for that next rung, to go to the next level, to do better, to hitch onto something that they could be passionate about. What do you think that is? What is the what is it that holds people back and keeps them stuck in their their place in life? Well, there are two types of fear. There's fear of success and fear of failure, and they're probably more than that. Um, but they don't. They also are not connected to love and to loving ourselves. And I just knew, as I went through trying to make it in the NFL, that I was so afraid that it would be the end of the world because I. Just going after my team, you know, with the Jets and the recent post Joe Nath era, and he's become a very good friend, one of the nicest people on the planet ever, absolutely. Um, and I thought it would be the end of the world when they when they cut me, Michaelson, the Jets me. And then I just woke up, you know, there's no way I can get used to this. 1.25 seconds where I'm moving moving towards my holder and me i'm moving it's being down i'm planting my left foot as a right-footed kicker thinking and seeing the target while i'm looking down at the ball seeing it in my mind's eye so there's a skill set itself Jeez. and balls being twisted for you know sense of a, and i have literally one tenth to see the ball is not moving and then to kick it through what at that point looked like tweezers <laughs> people and in big game can freak you out no way to get used to it except to do it um my being a pilot i think of that analogy as well or a fighter pilot. or in my case my dad is a pilot no armor flying so low that he could see the faces of the salt the german soldiers shooting at him wow you know um that takes a while to get used to and um maybe some people don't want to get used to that but it made my father have this remarkable 
equanimity. Uh, when my mother was um, close to death and she died a couple days later and we had to go out and we'd, uh, the, the doctor had a major stroke and she couldn't speak. And, um, you know, the toughest decisions of all, but, but more clear because you truly love that person. My dad and my mom, 57 years married, wonderful relationship. And we're going to um, the funeral place to meet with the folks there. And, you know, you never rehearse that. Right. My father was able to crack jokes and, and, and continue perspective. And when we actually poured my mother's ashes in a beautiful ceremony at the base of our house, probably breaking about 20 differences in laws, by the way, uh, <laughs> yeah, right. and the place called Dead Run, as it, and which went out into the Potomac River and then out into the Chesapeake Bay, uh, 20 miles away. Um, my dad came up the next morning and it was raining hard. It was beautiful weather for the, the ceremony to, to, to say goodbye to our mother, each of us holding hands by dead run, which ironically was a civil war, um, location for a battle wow. and, uh, hence dead run. And, um, it rained almost immediately, like an hour afterwards, nonstop in our Creek, which was down here was and overflowing and I came downstairs and there's my dad coming out of his bedroom his wife of 57 years is never going to be in life the mother of his four children and he looked up at me it's raining and he goes well he's in the baby meaning that my mother's ashes probably had with all the rain it probably floated all the way out to the Chesapeake Bay wow. um, you know so I think we can do that if we uh, we have perspective that we're only so big, you know, yeah. and the bigness comes from this vision to connect. I mean, I, some would call it Eric Swanson an awesome vision, you know, what <laughs> yeah. makes us all, what brings out the awesome in all of us. That's, uh, that's awesome. I, I agree. So what would you say if somebody right now, because I think that not just the country I've, I've had, um, just had a phone call with somebody, you know, I'm in technology and I just had a conversation with somebody dealing with, with programmers in India. And there's like, like they don't even have the funds to work from home. They don't have the equipment to work from home in some cases over there. And they are right. literally locked down. And she's like, our entire project's on hold right now. And, and, you know, how do you, the people that are paralyzed with this fear right now of, uh, the coronavirus and everything going on. What what do you have to say that could bring them some hope for the future? Well, it's only going to last so long. I mean, the, the the viruses and all of the pandemics that have happened before um, happening anymore. So there is a time limit to it. Of course, that's uh, you know not a lot of solace to those who have family members that have died from this. But I, I would say, you know, there's pay attention to just the amount of data, be able to consider as we need to all the time, the source. So, um, you know, there is a lot of uh, fake news, but there's also really, really good news. My friend Harris uh, did a special on Fox News. I don't tend to think Fox News is always the standard. Yeah. She's a great standard and there is good information there. And and then switch to CNN, switch over to NBC and CBS and, and BBC and, and see what the different perspectives are. And so have an information, but don't drown yourself in it. Keep doing the things that fill you up. I look out at my backyard right now and my pool and waterfall and the beautiful flowers and, 
and the wonderful birds, um, my big bird feeder that my sister gave me out there and uh, you know, my hot tub and my house. And I've been working out of my house for a long time. So I'm really lucky because I can yeah. afford it. And uh, because um, I'm used to being in it and staying here anyway. So it's, if it's a prison, it's a beautiful one. If, if you don't have that, then it's creating and reinforcing the most important thing that always is, which is what's going on. What are the thoughts as I'm running out for a game-winning field goal? You know, uh, Tony Robbins once, the night before our AFC championship game against Buffalo with Joe Montana, by the way, and he said, um, who are you playing for? <clears throat> who are you playing this game for? Because I was nervous. I didn't want to disappoint anybody. You know, the field goal kicker is – it's going to be one kick. If you make it, it was a good game. If you miss it, you'll never forget it. And it really set me. It was like I'm playing for all the kids from United Cerebral Palsy. Mm. Playing for all those one for Josh Rudder and Joni Reiser and Lesadra Craddock. I'm playing for my aunt Debbie Brinkotter, who helps with that. I'm playing for all the my aunt Margaret, who had cerebral palsy, let yet despite significant spasticity in her joints and her speaking. She taught herself to write. She, she, to type. Um, she became, got a college degree and was university librarian at the University of Utah. I'm playing for them. And that gets you, you know, the expression in your head, but <laughs> that really helped me. And I had a game. Um, Montana was sacked by another friend of mine who was an amazing human being who really turned his life around 1988 with a talk with, uh, with Marv Levy my coach that cut Jan Stenerud, the greatest kicker of all time at that point, wow. uh, which I'm not play. I mean, I think about all these things. Bruce Smith was told by Marvy, you know, uh, Bruce, you can have a career uh, where you pro bowl here and there and we win a few games or be a gamer and this team can go to the Super Bowl. Wow. It's up to you. Do you want to, do you want to do what is necessary to be great? And wow. he, Lived his life with a resounding yes. He had 200 sacks, uh, one of the great um, pass rushers of all time. Sacked Joe Montana in that AFC championship game. Wow. Uh, I just kicked a field goal to put us uh, 20 to 13, so we're right in the game. Joe uh, fumbled and horrible concussion, just one of the worst concussions I've ever seen, mm. which he's never really talked a lot about. But um, me, I was sitting next to him on the bench, and uh, – uh, the game around but but tony robbins worry really helped me have a good game in the biggest game of my life point and i think all of us need to reset ourselves and say if i keep handing in hanging in here what was fear is going to turn to poise it's going to yeah. turn to belief in myself it's going to turn to awareness of what are my capacity enormous pressure and uh going back to arnold i know i'm giving you a lot of stuff here, but Arnold Toynbee's whole challenge response that what civilization and he in the in study of history, the 21 great civilizations in history and Western civilization being third spiral, being one measured them not by generations of success, by how when they had enormous, they had this parts of your brain which are married to each other the spiritual yeah. part of us and the creative part of us the yeah. creative part 
in each it is it feeds to a part and vice versa it's why michelangelo and da vinci uh were so extraordinary and of passion to create something that would god but you know that's where we need to go when feeling stuck that's where that creates my creativity i not be an artist i may not be i love to write i was in theater um Wow. All those things put me in a different place. They and connect and reinforce the connection between the right and the left brain, the organizational part, the ego-based part, and the the spiritual part, the part that's always going to be a part that will inform in the language we create for ourselves of how we talk to ourselves in the most pressured times. What's going on in that conversation with you? Are you building yourself up? Are you asking yourself creatively, what can I do now that I haven't thought of before to take advantage of time? Or are we feeding ourselves in a radio, which tend to be, you know, polarized messages uh, and certainly about us and making money for them, not feeding us stuff that can really help us? Luckily, there are great examples uh, still that is above their personal as they care about in the end, the legacy, legacy over agenda. You know, I, I love, I love what you said a, a, a minute ago about Tony Robbins asking you, what are you playing for? Man, that, that just made me stop. Cause I've heard so many greats say something similar, right? Like tying yourself to, to something bigger than you. And, and that's what you did. That literally defined your legacy. I mean, you tied yourself to something outside of you that was ginormous. <laughs> well, it's great. It just gets better. It's great is that uh, the more you do it, the better you get at it. And then they're gifts of the spirit. And the Bible talks about it. Um, I, I know in the uh, Buddhist religion, awareness and connection to uh, an eternal energy that's outside ourselves is one of the gifts. And it's that funny thing called intuition, uh, attracting ourselves to people and noticing people that are angels that we may not have noticed before. We weren't aligned in body and spirit. The more we say, that's what's important. That's who I am. Legacy over agenda. Exactly, Pamela. Thank you. Absolutely. That's what And then we start feeding ourselves with with references to that, yeah. um, amazing incidences that are not a coincidence, odd winks, some, some people call it. And suddenly, why did I meet this person on a plane? I don't know about, and we're not on planes a lot right now, but I was on a plane last week, flying back from seeing my brother and his 102-year-old mother-in-law and his wife. Wow. Um, and and they're people that I wind up sitting next to, and I sometimes don't talk to them the entire flight, um, being pleasant, but till maybe the last few minutes and suddenly we have this unbelievable of, of commonalities. I'm yeah. like, it's just percentage wise. There's just no chances could have happened. <laughs> so that, that is great too. Cause then maybe you say without abandoning your role to do the work, maybe God's helping out too. Maybe, yeah. maybe there's a lot of wonderful things that are wanting and wanting to help. Um, so ask that question. Who are you playing for? Oh, that's so powerful, man.
That is so powerful. That's probably if everybody really stopped because right now, and I think you would agree, there's going to be a lot of people making really um, dumb decisions in, in survival mode. Dumb choices in survival mode, right? I mean, it's well, we all do that. Yeah, we do. But like, if if we start basing our decisions on the, what the next action is based on what you just said, what are you playing for? It, it's a, it's a metaphor for life. Yeah. So, well, thank you. You know, I, I didn't go into it yet as much, but um, now I can look back and say. What a great thing to be rejected 11 times. You know, there's a biblical number, 12. The 12th time was the lucky one. I played 18 years. When I retired, after all those rejections, most accurate kicker in NFL history, most field goals in NFL history, best AT percentage, which is now 20 yards. It used to be 10. Um, most games with 250-yard two, two field goals, most points in Chiefs history, um, things I never could have dreamed I could have done, and also had stage to do things like kick with Nick for cerebral palsy and adult roles for youth with the YMCA and my friend Gene Dooley and Phyllis Wallace. You know, great people. By the way, what happens when you're doing those things? If it isn't, you connect with people that are wonderful. I love helping. Well, now you're around people that do it every day. Yeah. So what does that do if it doesn't reinforce that original impetus of legacy over agenda? Man, that is so awesome. It's incredible. So, so first, everybody, where's where's the best place for people to follow you on social media? What's what's where are you most active? Well, I do a lot on Facebook. That's what us old people do. I'm on Instagram. I, I'm getting back on Twitter slowly. Um, and then nicklowry.org or nicklowryfoundation.org, N-I-C-K-L-O-W-E-R-Y, nicklowry.org. And then lowryspeaks.com, which is uh, some of my speeches. Um, I, by the way, I haven't used this word yet in our, our conversation today, but I love the word I, I kind of created called soulfish. Uh, I really believe that speaking and going back to Arnold Toynbee uh, and that notion of perspective of civilization and history, that as you look at the Christian movement, it's just one example. When um, the definitions and the translations in the old Greek, the Hebrew to the, the ancient Greek of the Bible moved into, you know, the Italian and the Roman, the Greek cultures, and then further into Europe, um, they were very strong, and it was that case in the Middle East as well, but, you know, the old-style culture where the priest, the king, the queen, just a few people controlled life and death for so many, so they created mechanisms of guilt. Yeah. They created mechanisms where, oh, if I do go after my own legacy, at some level, I'm being selfish, and so for those of you that are looking for that, that are trying to get over the selfish wall or mm. break through it, use that word soulfish as a way, another way to think of it, that nothing that you do that enhances this alignment, that builds your soul, that builds the backbone of who you are, that enhances the internal conversation and dialogue that will take you will take with you to your deathbed. 
So why am I here? Why, and by the way, why was I here? God, where am I going now? And, you know, in, instead, uh, that old culture was about creating a lot of un, unhealthy notions of, of guilt and selfishness. I'm being yeah. selfish because I'm thinking about myself too much. Let me, let me tell you, if you've learned to be a great musician and you become the greatest guitarist like uh, Carlos Santana, yeah. um, if you uh, build this instrument in you, that is selfishness. That's not selfishness. Don't okay. ever let that hold you back. It's only going to make you better and help more people and just keep that mantra of serving that, that legacy over the daily agenda that, that sometimes clouds where we're really going. Well, I know Bob Donnell connected you and I a couple of weeks ago. I talked to Bob almost every day and, you know, he speaks very highly of you. I've seen, I've popped on a couple of your Facebook live streams. I'm like, wow, this guy does a lot of Facebook lives. I thought I was the only one. That's awesome. So my last one was with, my last one was with a gecko. I was, uh, I have out in my, my yard, just 40 feet from here, uh, a small statue of St. Francis of, As of Assisi, who's the patron saint of animals and the environment. I'm having this quiet, mellow afternoon on Sunday, and I'm taking photos of the flowers that are right around the St. Francis mini statue. And this gecko comes up on my leg and literally tilts his head. And uh, thanks, Pamela. And uh, he looks at me. And, and I took photos of it because he, st he stood there. He's holding on for 10 minutes. So I filmed it and then he goes down and he goes up on my left leg and he cucks his leg head the other way. It looks at me like daddy. <laughs> and, and I just thought, you know, it's just, once again, is that really a coincidence that here I am with, with, you know, this image of St. Francis and the idea of non-judgment, which is very, very much connected, very much connected, you know, to selfishness or lack thereof, non-judgment, taking in information, wisdom, being able to get over our ego, which, you know, why is it so important to me is because as athletes, we fed our narcissistic ego-based uh, persona because we wanted to push ourselves to be great. And that did serve a purpose because we learned to compare and learn, et cetera. But if we, if we are not careful, we don't realize the better thing is this stage, which serves that spirit, which is the part of us that's eternal. You know, I, I know a lot of professional athletes and and some of them have humongous egos. <laughs> well, it's important to have an ego because you have people that, you know, just all of us have people that. Uh oh, you froze. I think I've lost you. There you are. Oh, there but you the are. The truth is. Um, you know, ego only serves so much. Eckhart Tolle talks about this a lot in A, a New Earth. I love that book. Oh, yeah. um, and so most of our choices, speaking of legacy versus agenda, are about spirit, soul versus ego. And when you see that more clearly, it helps clarify, clarify a lot of our decisions. And we have to have that. We have to have that ego. I mean, right? Like, you have to have an ego. Everybody has one. Well, ego serves the purpose of setting goals, comparing and measuring, 
But, you know, in the Bible, it talks a lot about that, right? When we get in trouble, when we when we compare ourselves to others. So what's the purpose? If the purpose of comparing is just to get better and to finely tune our internal guitar, um, then it's not a bad one. You know, I, I one one thing that I think you probably should have done. It's just I'm just going to throw this out. You probably should have played for the Steelers. <laughs> I had lots of games, good games against the Steelers. The last field goal of my Arrowhead and Kansas City Chiefs career was right hash, 32 yards. Brian Barker holding. Uh, Joe Montana and, and Marcus Allen and Derek Thomas and oh my God. wonderful teammates. Uh, to beat Bill Cower, who had been our defensive coordinator under yeah. Marty Schottenheimer, to beat Bill Cower. Sorry, Bill. Great guy, by the way. To beat him and send us further into the playoffs. So wow. great memory. And I love the Pittsburgh stands, fans, by the way, because they respect a worthy opponent. Now, they're going to be tough during the game, but they respect you as a worthy opponent. So those are the best kind of fans. Yeah. You're you're incredible. I I really I really genuinely appreciate you taking the time. I I, I want um, everybody that watches this, listens to it, go follow Nick. And I've got your website scrolling across the bottom. Now I was on another one. Is it um, Lowry Speaks? Lowryspeaks.com. Yep. And you can email me at Nick at Lowryspeaks.com if I can help you. Um, now, why would I want to do that? Well, I'll give you an example. Bubby Brister, speaking of Pittsburgh Steelers quarterbacks for a long time, Bubby is a dear friend, one of the craziest, most funny people I've ever met. And he told me about this kicker who uh, was in high school and he's going into his senior year and has real college possibilities, all district, all that, and very depressed because all these football camps are being canceled around him. And I've never met him, but it wasn't much of a choice for me because it's like if I can help this kid, you know, who's never heard – the voice on the other end of the phone of a professional athlete who's been successful, help him realize it's going to be okay and to tap into his own power. That makes me feel great. First of all, it reminds me, my favorite word in the English language, refresh the mind, reminds me of what matters, helps tune my internal um, instrument, and it helps him. Now, do I have to measure that? The measurement is I feel great doing it and – You know what? I feel a lot of emotion right now because that's the purest kind of love, right? To love somebody you've never met just because you know they're a human being. So that gets better. That gets better and better and better. So give yourselves and jump onto those opportunities whenever they present themselves. They're there every day. You're amazing, man. So um, refresh the mind. Now I see why you and Bob are connected so deeply. I get it. So Nick, thank Good you. I, I I appreciate you coming on here. Be like, you are um, you rock. I, well, thanks, brother. Thank I'm lost. You. I'm lost for words. If you can't, <laughs> well, you were nice enough to have me on. So God bless you and everybody out there. Be safe and uh, find your legacy. Forget about that agenda ever taking the place of that beautiful legacy that you all have. Wow. Thank you, man. Thank you so much. Thank you to everybody watching and who shared it and everything. Thank you. Nick, have an awesome day. Thank you, guys. Bless you.